All right, hey, it's a privilege to be back here again. Uh, for those of you who were not here last week, my name is Keith Corver. I'm one of the associate pastors at Third Church in Pella. I was the pastor of Calvary Church back in the day from 1992 to 2000. It's a privilege to be with you here again today. And God's spirit is, is so present. Uh, you're a wonderful congregation. I hope that we have a great time. Listen, we're going to go a little long. I can already tell. Uh, you, you, you have lots of things happening in the life of the congregation. But I want to make sure what I have to share today lands for you. And here's why. Um, one of my heroes of the faith is a guy named Enoch. And he's listed in Genesis very, very briefly and then in Hebrews 11 as well. And what's interesting is I used to think Enoch didn't do anything because all Hebrews says, the book of Hebrews says, is he walked with God. He didn't build an ark and, and he didn't slay Goliath and he just walked with God. Now, wait a second. If you walk with God, you're walking with the ultimate. Enoch is incredible. Maybe someday we'll have a sermon on him and if we do, you're going to be very surprised at how he walked with God and he dealt with fallen watchers and angelic beings who rebelled against God. Phenomenal story. It's non-canonical, it's non-biblical, but Enoch, in my estimation, is one of the hero studs of the faith. We're going to continue now with our part two of The Way Forward is Through the Holy Spirit. Jeff, thanks. Can I have the second screen? I'm just going to call him off. So The Way Forward by, is by learning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit for yourself and as a church body. My goal today is just to wet your whistle to deposit four keys that you can use so you can be like Enoch and you can be like I'm trying to walk with God. Um, quick story. This thing here, the Bible, I did not handle very well for years as a preacher. I was seminary trained. We were trained in the historical grammatical method. You know, we studied the context. We studied the grammar and all this stuff. And then we concoct a sermon. And I met a guy named Dr. Mark Verkler who taught me the four keys, and he shared with a group of pastors, he says, we don't handle this thing very well. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to Hebrews 4.12. It's in the back of your Bible, right before the little book of James. And if you brought your pen and you are willing to mark up your Bible, I want you to underline something that is very, very important. Hebrews 4.12. And I'm just going to quote it because it's mine. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it elicits the thoughts and the intentions of the heart before you and before God. This thing, the Bible, is the supreme way in which God wants to talk to us. However, today we're going to talk about other ways God talks to us as well. But we always start with Scripture, and we always end with Scripture if the Lord chooses to speak to us through dreams, through visions, through nature, through other people. God has many modes of communication with his people, but we always use Scripture. We've got to know the Bible, and then we test what we receive with the Bible, and we'll look at that at the end of our message today. i got a friend who's a professor at Central College, used to play racquetball with this guy all the time. His mom passed away, and she wanted a preacher to have her library. Now, this is like the fourth time in my career where somebody's given me their whole library, and it's like, I, I don't want your library, okay? But I had to act like I wanted the library. I would love to have that library. I laid all the books out on the table, and I said, Holy Spirit, I don't want these books. 
which books do you want me to have? And literally, two of the books went, whoa, whoa. That's called the whoa, whoa factor. Can you say whoa, whoa factor? That's the Holy Spirit flagging you saying, pay attention. So what I'm going to encourage you to think about in the coming years you walk with the Lord is read less, read deeper, and use the whoa, whoa factor. If I'm going to preach, somebody gives me a text I'm going to preach on, if we're in the middle of a series, I do not go to commentaries. I do not do a historical grammatical study. I do not do a a lexicon study, a word study of the Hebrew or the Greek until after I sit in the passage and I wait for whoa, whoa. I wait for whoa, whoa, a word. I wait for a phrase. And the reason why I do that is because the Holy Spirit is signaling me Someone in the congregation that Sunday needs that word, whether it's one person or whether it's the whole group. So God wants to speak through his word, and he uses the whoa factor. Now, here's the interesting thing. Can I have the next slide, Jeff? I think it's from my friend John Erickson. Uh, yes, here we go. I met with a, a missionary friend of mine last week, and he said this to me, and it stuck. And so the Lord wanted me to have it to give it to you. American Christians believe in God, he said, But African Christians believe God. Big difference. Big difference. So I'd like you to turn now to John 10, verse 4. We're going to keep working on this idea of we can hear God's voice. We are supposed to hear God's voice. We're supposed to move forward by the Spirit with God's voice. So as you're going to check out this text here a second... I want to talk about radio lingo. Now, any police officers in here or, or fire department or anybody like that, what does 10-4 mean? Roger, we're there. Notice, this is in John 10-4. Let's read the text. John 10-4. When he has brought out his own, he's referring to Jesus, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Our goal, your goal is to learn how to hear the voice of the Lord the way he, hear, he speaks to you, how he speaks to you. We'll talk about various ways this can happen. James 5.17, Elijah was a man just like us. And the Holy Spirit told him to shut the rain out of Canaan for three and a half years. And then the Holy Spirit talked to him on Mount Carmel and said, pray for the rain to come back, and he did it. That's the kind of intimate relationship the Holy Spirit wants to have us in our lives as well. Think about this for a minute. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Daniel. He came to Ezekiel. He came to all the minor prophets. He came to the apostles. He speaks to people. How in the world does he speak to us? That's what we're going to poke at. Now my one, two props up here today, and I'm going to keep it very simple, is a simple radio. So the four keys that I'm going to be sharing with you very quickly with examples is how to tune, how to tune your spirit to be able to receive from the Lord. It is guaranteed, but you have to use all four scriptural keys. How many keys? All four. You have to do all four. Some of you are going to balk, and you're going to go, well, I don't need to do step four. You do. You do need to do step four. When we get there, I'll tell you why you need to do step four, and that's journaling, okay? So let's move forward here, and would you turn your Bibles to Habakkuk 2, 1 through 3. It's in the Old Testament. And some of you are going to go, where is it? So I'll give you a minute to find it. I want you to find it because it's the key text. It was given to Dr. Mark Verkler. He's in ministry for 11 years. 
He's a preacher in a fundamentalist church. Then he went to a charismatic church. Then he went to a reformed church. Then he went to a vineyard church. And he was trying to find out how do people hear the voice of God. And nobody could tell him. Charismaniacs would tell him, hey, you just know that you know. And he said, that's not good enough for me. I have to know how. Scripture has to show me how to hear the voice of God. And people of God, nobody ever taught me either. Seminary didn't teach me. I did not learn it out of the Reformed tradition as much as I love the Reformed tradition. It didn't teach me. The Holy Spirit had to teach Mark. And he said, Mark, one night he was awoken by the Spirit. He says, get up. I want you to go to Habakkuk 2.1. And we're going to start there. And I'm going to show you how you can tune into the frequency of the Holy Spirit for your life. Let's hear the word of the Lord here. So, he says, I will stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And I will look to see what he will say to me. And in verse 2, he gets this command, now write down the revelation. Now, if you look up at the screen here, I've broken this thing out for you just a little bit. I'm going to stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. That is your place of prayer, wherever that is, wherever you give God the best. So for me in the morning, when I get up out of bed, I hit the shower quick because I need some water to slam me to wake me up. And then I give the Lord an hour. And I do this every day. If I don't do it, I'm wrecked by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm discombobulated. My inner gyroscope is messed up. So I will stand my watch and station myself on the ramparts. It's your place of prayer. Now watch what happens next. He says, I'm going to look to see what he's going to say to me. I thought we saw with our eyes and we heard with our ears. We have a mixed metaphor of sensory apparatus going on here. I'm going to... Look to see what he will say to me. Now, very quickly, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the eyes, ears, mind, will, and emotions of your heart. Emotions time, even with the kids. Eyes, point your fingers there. Eyes, ears, mind, will, and emotions of your heart. The Holy Spirit speaking in here to you. You're hitting a place of calm and quiet, and you're sensing the Holy Spirit moving in you. This idea of being in the Spirit used to blow my mind. I thought it was, ooh, we'll talk about it in step four, what it means to be in the Spirit. It's not spooky. It's not weird. You can dial into it intentionally in your relationship with the Lord, and the Lord wants to speak with you because we saw in John 10, 4, his sheep hear his voice, and you're one of his sheep. I know you are. You want to hear his voice. If we go now to the next slide, it would be fantastic, Jeff. Key number one, I'm going to be still and know that God is God. Be still and know that I am God. So if you want to turn to Psalm 46.10 in your Bible, underline that key and put the number one by it if you dare to write in your Bible. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I'll wait a minute for you to get there. A couple comments about stillness. Silence and solitude is the pathway to communion with God. I'm going to say it again. Silence and solitude is the pathway to God. If you will not choose silence and solitude, the only other shot the Lord has to speak to you and you're going to hear in this busy, crazy world is through your dreams and through your visions because you're asleep. Lord's going to grab a hold of you at night, and he's going to say, look, you won't give me time during the day, so I'm going to speak to you because you're a follower of Christ. 
I am begging you, silence and solitude is the pathway to hearing God's voice. And you're going to see example after example in Scripture. Um, I'm not going to read these for you, but if you go to 1 Kings 18 and 19 with Elijah or 2 Kings 3 with Elisha, you're going to see these Old Testament prophets doing all four keys as the word of the Lord is coming to them with the kings that they're dealing with in the Old Testament. This is how God spoke to the apostles and the prophets. Very quickly, if you turn to the back of your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. So it's just before 1, 2, 3, John, Jude, and Revelation. Trying to demystify how we can be very spiritual and walk with the Lord. That it's not this far out twilight zone thing. You can do it. We can do this thing. So Peter writes here in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit through the four keys, through the four keys that I'm sharing with you right now. Let's go to slide, the next slide, Jeff. Key number two is focusing your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of your faith. Would you turn to Hebrews 12, 2? Again, back in your Bible to the right, Hebrews 12, 2. We're going to talk about this picture up here in just a moment. But Hebrews 12, 2 says this. I'm waiting for you. I'm trying not to go too fast, so forgive me. The author of Hebrews says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Key word in verse 3, first word, consider. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus and consider him. Key number one is quietness before the Lord. Key number two is, is fix your mind on Jesus and literally picture him. It says so right here in Hebrews 12 too. Fix your eyes on Jesus and consider him. Now, I've got a little picture up here for you that's been a pretty amazing thing, and I'm, I'm hoping to share how it came about. But Akiani, the author, Kathy, what's her last name? Yeah. Camrick. Akiana Camrick. You might want to do some research on her. She's an artist prodigy. So she was eight years old when this picture, she actually had a visitation from Jesus. And this is the portrait she painted, eight years old, of the Prince of Peace. Now, what's really interesting about this picture is that Colin Burpo, a little boy from Nebraska who's now a man, died of an appendicitis when he was a little boy. And he had a visitation, and he went to heaven, and he wound up coming back to earth. He was restored. He was resuscitated. And he started telling his parents things that they couldn't believe he knew that he could not know. He met his unborn sister who died in utero in heaven. And the mother and dad never told him about that. And when he shared who he met, he met a grandpa who had 
died before he was born. And he met his sister. The mother started weeping and said, what's her name? He said, she's not named. She's waiting for you and daddy to get to heaven to name her. Isn't that interesting? At any rate, Colin was asked this question. He said, of all the portraits that you have seen of Jesus, which one is the most accurate as you remember heaven? He said that one right there. So here's what we do now. We're being quiet before the Lord, and I am trying to picture Jesus in my mind's eye, who is the author and the perfecter of my faith. And the reason why I want to picture Jesus is because he's the be-all, end-all of everything. And I want to make sure anything I get in the Spirit is going to come through Jesus and not a demon or not my fallen thoughts. So I want to picture him. Now, I had problems with this early on when I was learning to do this. I couldn't see Jesus' face clearly. Any of you watch crime shows and they got an innocent person in the, the, the viewing of the deal and they fog that person's face out so you can't uh, know the identity of someone? That's what happened to me early on when I was learning how to do this. I couldn't picture Jesus. So what I did is I got a small picture, just like this, and when I do my four keys, he's sitting right on my board, so I'm just staring at him. I am staring at him. I am burning his face, the memory of his face, into the synapses of my brain. So that, on a moment's notice, now that I've been doing this for 10 years, I can pull that picture up in a nanosecond. I can pull that picture up in a very busy place. I want to see Jesus. What do you have for me here? We want to picture Jesus. Key number one, stillness before the Lord. Key number two, see Jesus in your prefrontal cortex, your right prefrontal cortex. I'll give you some resources at the end of the message today that if you want to delve into this further, you'll find out how your spirit interacts with your brain, your right prefrontal cortex and the pineal gland of your brain to receive divine revelation. The ancients all knew about this, and we're just rediscovering it now in our modern sciences. Can I have the next slide, please? Key number three is to look for vision as you pray. Would you turn to John 7, 37 through 39? John chapter 7, 37 through 39. This, the first time I learned what I'm sharing with you now, was my greatest epiphany about this process. Silence, I knew all about that. The issue is, would I do it? The issue is, will you do it? Okay? That's where the battles fought. This was the thing that was like, whoa, huge. So in John 7, 37, we have Jesus on the last and greatest day of the feast standing up. And he's saying in a loud voice, now think about this for a minute, he's yelling it. I'm not going to yell at you, but I'm going to read it loud. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. The Holy Spirit is flow. Take your hands with me. The Holy Spirit is flow. And flow comes when I am quiet before the Lord. I am focusing my eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of my faith. And flow comes through the eyes, the ears, the mind, the will, and the emotions of my heart. That's how the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Some of us get images. Some of us hear. Some of us think godly thoughts. Some of us feel. Some of us are ready to act like 
one of the old heroes of faith to go do something. That's the spirit moving deeply, deeply within you. Where is this place called the spirit where the heart is happening? It's the essence of your being. Raise your hand if you know what I'm about to explain because it's happened to me numerous times. It's happened to me because of funerals. It's happened to me because of loss of loved ones. Maybe it's happened to you because of a divorce or whatever. The deepest grief you ever know comes from down here. And Do you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you have experienced that. You betcha. That's where your spirit is, your heart is. This is where we're going. Your mind and your physical heart are organs. The Holy Spirit dwells down here in the kidneys. When you have a really good belly laugh way down here, that's you getting down toward where the Holy Spirit is. And it hurts so good that that famous uh, rock and roll theologian, John Cougar Mellencamp,'s got a song called It Hurts So Good, right? But that's what we're talking about. That's where this stuff is. Let's keep going. Jeff, can I have the next uh, uh, key, key number four? Write down the vision. I would like you to turn to Revelation 2 and 3 at the end of the Bible. I'm going to put it all together for you here now. I've got like three examples I want to share with you. And then we'll move into the Lord's table. Did you know that two-thirds of the Bible is a journal? Two-thirds of the Bible are the prophets and the apostles journaling using this process. I'm going to take you through Revelation here now. You're going to go, oh, my word, there it is. Yep. Why, why haven't I seen this before? I don't know, but we're seeing it now. In Revelation chapter 1, we have this letter from John to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And I want you to go to verse 10 in particular. I have to start with verse 9. I'll walk you through just a couple things here. So John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, what do you do on the Lord's day? You rest from your labors. He was in the spirit. So when I always heard charismatics talking about I was in the spirit, I used to always go, what is this? I don't know what this is. It's a quiet spirit. That's what it means to be in the spirit. Quiet. So Elijah is on Mount Horeb. There's an earthquake. There's fire, rocks, the whole bit. But God wasn't in any of it. drawing in. He was in the whispering. That's where John is here on the island of Patmos. He says next, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write. You're going to see the four keys here. Jump down to verse 17. When I saw him again, verse 19, write. Chapter 2, verse 1. Write. Chapter 2, verse 8. Write to Smyrna. Chapter 2, verse 12 to Pergamum. Write what you're seeing, what you're hearing. On and on and on. Now what's interesting about the flow that comes from the Holy Spirit is sometimes it comes over time. Strange thing Dr. Mark Verkler taught me. He says if you think the book of Revelation, the letter, letter of Revelation got written in one setting, he says you're a kook. It was written over a period of time. And he says, if you study the text carefully, you can see where the breaks actually occurred. 
So what John did, what Daniel and Ezekiel were able to do, is they were able to re-engage the eyes, ear, mind, will of their heart and pick up the vision again. This has only happened to me once, but Dr. Verkler challenged us. He said, do any of you have dreams that you wish you knew the end of the dream of? They were a God dream that got truncated, that got cut off, and you're just wondering what it was. He says, you can re-enter the dream by the Spirit using the four keys. He said, get quiet before the Lord. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to take you back into it. I've been able to get a dream back, maybe another third. I had a third of it. I'm still missing a piece. And it was an interesting dream because I was actually in heaven, and I was waiting outside the heavenly throne room, and Jesus came out. And he was riding his white war horse. And he was trying to say something to me. I was dressed in Roman centurion garb, minus the helmet. I had this red war horse. We both hopped on the horses. Dream ends. I was able to pick the dream up again. And when I picked the dream up, we were walking on a pure white pebble road that came to a T. And I was waiting for instructions from the Lord, and I didn't hear what they were. (sighs) I keep trying. I need to get those instructions. And so I keep trying to re-engage. The point Dr. Verkler's making is, is all these writers of Scripture were just like us. They knew the four keys, and they were able to operate in them. I'm going to give you some quick examples to encourage you, to excite you about this process. My father passed away a year and a half ago, and I did not grieve his passing very well because life was hectic. He was in California. I was in Iowa. My brother Ken did a stellar job walking with my mom and dad to their transitions into heaven. So we go out to California. We had this monster funeral. We're all taking care of business, doing this, that, and the other thing. And you know, I saw my dad in the casket, and I did shed some tears, but it wasn't deep grief. It was just managed grief. About six months later, I'm doing my quiet time with the Lord. The Lord takes me into a vision. And in the vision, I'm with my father, and we're in a, we're in a 1960s diner. And my dad and I, the way we connected is we would go to diners, have a cup of coffee after we looked at cars. My dad was one of those guys who wanted a new car every two years kind of a thing. And so I would go with dad, and we'd go to the lots, and we'd go to coffee shops. When I'm in this 1960s uh, diner with my dad. It's spotless. It's pure clean. It's uh, brown vinyl chairs with the typical setup you'd have in a diner. It is immaculate. There's only two or three other people in the diner. It's very peaceful. And I see my dad coming down the aisle of the diner toward me, and I get up, and I view him. And he looked just like he did before he passed away, except he was clean-shaven. And my dad was uh, almost blank-faced, but he was clean and whatever. And I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, you're supposed to be in heaven. He didn't say anything to me. And I turned to the, those in the diner and I said, Look, I said, I'm just going to take my dad and we're going to sit down here in the aisle. I'm going to put his head in my lap and I'm going to just let him go to heaven. And so we sit down in the dream, and Dad puts his head on my lap, and I'm just stroking his head. End of the dream. What's that about? It's about the Holy Spirit helping me to move through my grief to fully release my father. And he did. It's a gift. Another story of how four keys can work for you. This is a crazy one. About four or five years ago, I have this dream. I'm at the Des Moines airport. And I'm on the southeast corner, and I'm right at the spot in the airport area where the old Burger King used to be, right across the street there, if you remember all that. Now Burger King's a little bit north on floor. At any rate, there's kind of this cavern jungle by the southwest-northeast runways. And I look down in the cavern, and I see this massive boa constrictor coming at me, just slithering. 
It's big, it's fat, it's juicy, it's white, it's got that yellow. It looks really pretty. It's got that yellow pattern, whatever that kind of boa constrict that is. I look across the tarmac over toward the American Airlines station, and there's this hippopotamus coming. The hippopotamus was not a baby, not a daddy, not a big one, kind of a medium-sized, and it's coming like this across the airfield. And it jumps down into the cavern on top of that boa constrictor, bow, wipes it out. World is that dream about? One week later, I'm working in my Bible blueprint class with people, and I'm talking about how the New Testament was canonized. The New Testament was not put together as we know it until the year 400 at the Council of Chalcedon and the Council of Hippo. Holy Spirit message, Keith, there's temptation in your life. Kill it with Scripture. So I do. Third story, when I teach the four keys, I do it in a large group, break people down into groups of twos and threes. People are journaling, doing all kinds of exercises, but I do an event called the hot seat. And so we're teaching people how to hear God's voice. We put a person that nobody knows in the middle of that room in that chair. We play quiet music, non-lyric music, because we don't want to lead people into thoughts. We want the Holy Spirit to flow in you. At any rate... We put that person there, and it happened to be a a young woman. And nobody knew who she was. I knew this young couple, Nudapella. And lo and behold, 13 out of 53 people had essentially the same vision of her. She was in white sequin dress like you'd wear at a wedding or at a ball. And they all saw her in like one of those English gardens with Fuji trees, Fuji trees and all kinds of greenery and so forth. And we thought, this is crazy. The young gal pulls out her phone and says, guess where I was last weekend? I was in the mega mall and I was looking for wedding dresses that are going to be standing up with my sister. And she shows us a picture. It was exactly what 13 people in the group saw. The body of Christ doing this together can see together to put pieces together to figure out how to move forward. But we've never experimented enough to do it. We've never given enough credence to the body of Christ to move in these ways, which is really unique. Now, here's an interesting part of this class. I have two men who have been convicted of crimes of pedophilia that I walk with. One will be in jail probably for the rest of his life. The other one's been released. At any rate, one of the men who was going to go to jail, could come to Third Church, and I was his sponsor walking him in the church for safety and so forth. He said, Keith, I want to sit in the hot seat. And I said, oh, John, I don't think we want to do this. And here's why. We had a young boy in the room, eight years old. Children do this way better than adults because they are not jaded or tainted like we are. We have to work through our junk to get to that place of quietness. Kids just see and they go until they hit junior high pubescence. But John wanted to do it, so I said, okay, we're going to do it. So basically 53 people listened, and honestly, I got pretty much fluff for John, just kind of affirmation and encouragement and so forth. The little boy raises his hand. His name is Josh, and he's now in high school, and I'm mentoring him. He's a homeschool kid. He says, Pastor Keith, I got something. I'm, like, fearful of what this kid's going to have because kids here... I said, okay, what'd you get, Josh? And he said, Jesus told me that John is supposed to stay home at night because he's naughty. Nobody in the class knew the story except for me and John. That's how clear the Holy Spirit will speak. Let's get ready to wrap it up here. Don't be rigid with this process. 
In Acts 16, the Apostle Paul wants to go to Mysia and Bithynia with Silas and with Timothy, but the Holy Spirit keeps checking him. They can't get there. He has this dream of this Macedonian man who's calling him to come over. Come over, come over to Macedonia. They go over to Macedonia, and it turns out it's a woman. It's Lydia. Don't get rigid with dreams and visions. Follow the flow of the Spirit in this whole thing. It's amazing what God will want to do. Two more stories and we're done. Am I okay? We okay here? All right. Eight years ago, I was in uh, Phoenix, Arizona for an RCA Commission Pastor Advisory Team meeting. We got done a day early, and so I'm going to fly home on a Friday. My flight's not out till like 4, but we're done like at 8 o'clock in the morning. 7 to 8, the meeting was over. So I'm going, okay, what do I do? I'm just sitting in the Spirit, listening to the Lord. Lord, should I try to get an earlier flight? What should I do? And I had this check in my spirit. The Lord said, no, hang out at the airport. I said, okay, I'll hang out at the airport. So I'm hanging out at the airport, and I hit the TSA line, and I should get through this thing quickly. It took 45 minutes to get through. I have a young Jamaican woman in front of me. Now remember, I availed myself to the Lord here. I said, Lord, I'm yours today. Whatever you want to do with me, let's go do. So I'm sitting here talking to this young woman. She's a pharmaceutical saleswoman from New York City, Jamaica. Her mom moved her and her two, two other sisters to New York City after their dad abandoned them. Mom raised him in New York City jungle. She got her college degree, pharmaceutical degree, and now she's doing her thing, making a bunch of money. Turns out she's a Boston Celtic fan. At that time, my nephew Kyle was playing for the Atlanta Hawks. So she couldn't stand the Atlanta Hawks because the Atlanta Hawks are always beating the Celtics at last minute. The whole bit. So we're doing the sparring, having this fun stuff, and she's sharing her life and this sort of thing. We're getting ready to go through the scanner and do that thing. I said to her, I said, hey, she knew I was a preacher. She knew I was married, kids. I said, uh, would you like a fatherly blessing like I give to my daughters? She looked at me and says, well, what's that? I said, well, I just, I just pray for you in the name of Jesus and just take it as a gift. I said, if you think I'm a creepy old white guy, just keep moving through the scanner. Don't stop, and I, you won't ever see me again. But she was waiting for me on the other side of the scanner. She said, hey, let's go over here. So we went over to the side of the concourse. She says, what do we do? I said, well, it's really very simple. I said, will you let me put my hand on your shoulder? And I'm just going to pray a blessing over you. So I just acted like she was my daughter. I got two daughters. And I prayed a blessing over her. When we were done, it was only a minute or two prayer. She said, what in the world is happening to me? I said, you have a really warm glow in your tummy, don't you? I do. What is this? I said, that's Abba Daddy telling you how much he loves you. She starts to weep. She said, do you have a business card? I said, no. I said, I'm a one-hit wonder. You know, you're never going to see me again until heaven. But I said, here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is, is you're going to have some friends who are going to want to bring you into a Christian fellowship because the Holy Spirit's knocking on your door. Listen, go. Okay, five hours later, I'm hopping on my jet, Frontier Airlines, getting ready to fly from uh, Phoenix to Des Moines, straight flight. Jet's packed. I'm in row 21. You following me? I'm in 21F. E and D are open. No one's sitting there. Jet's packed. I'm going, all right, first class. I got this flight off. God, this is a good deal. Door closes. Woman comes flying down the aisle, all disheveled, midlife, <clears throat> plops in the chair, and she's just frazzled. I said, wow. I said, you okay? She said, I haven't flown in years. I have not flown in years. I didn't know what to do with TSA. I didn't know anything. She says, I'm just so glad I'm here. I said, where are you going? She says, I'm going to Fort Dodge. My dad has had his third heart attack, triple bypass, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, if you ever hang out with me, I go deep quick, 12-foot side of the pool. I don't hang out in the shallow end. So we just start talking. And this lady starts revealing her life to me. Um, and she basically said when she was little, she was molested. Parents didn't protect her. Got married. Husband was a dentist. Had an affair on her with her best friend. And then she shared, oh, by the way, the Supreme Court just said that we can go ahead and be married. So I married my wife. I'm in a lesbian relationship. And when she shared that with me, I said, you're not a lesbian. She said, I am too. I said, no, you're not. I am too. No, you're not. Keith, what am I? You're a daughter of the king. And he loves you. And you've been hurt. Your parents didn't protect you. Your husband betrayed you. And now you're in a relationship coping because it's so expensive to live in San Francisco. You can't do it on a single income and you've compromised your values. That's what's going on. I shared the gospel with her. I said, look, my stuff stinks. Your stuff stinks. We need a savior. She says, I can't believe this is happening. She said, here we are, 33,000 feet over Denver. We're in row 21. You're in CDF. I'm in CD. And God puts a preacher in my row. (laughs) She's weeping. And then she turns to me and she says, would you hold me? I have not been held by a man for 10 years. Good news was there was a space between, and I leaned over, and I held her for a good 15 seconds, and I let her go. We had a conversation for another hour and a half until we landed in Des Moines, but as we were landing in Des Moines, we start the descent. I could see her bucking up, that she's getting ready to meet her family, and all the stuff that she's going to have to face, and so things kind of closed down at that point. We landed, and we're getting off the jet. And so we're the back of the jet, and I have a young man in front of me who happens to be from Jamaica, too. Two Jamaicans in one day. This young man is a pharmaceutical student at Drake at the time. And as he stands up the deep plane, he turns around to us, and he says, um, I, I couldn't help but hear that conversation. He said, my mom works with women in a caring deliverance ministry, and he gives her the card, and he says, in case you're interested, call my mom. She'll talk to you about your situation and pray with you for healing and so forth. Well, what was really interesting was as we were deplaning, the the group behind us and the row in front of us were all sitting in their chairs like this. Nobody was moving to identify us. It was fascinating. Well, I get to the luggage section, and uh, this young Jamaican is there, uh, young gentleman from uh, Drake. He says, Keith, I need a a ride home because it's spring break, and I went to tennis tournaments in uh, Phoenix. Would you give me a ride? It's midnight. It's a sure thing. We hop in the truck, and he said, dude, he said, I have never seen anything like that. Go that deep with someone on an airplane in a conversation in three hours, present the gospel, then let the chips fall. I said, sir, do you know why you were there? I said, you were praying for me the whole time, because I knew I was in a swamp. Honestly, people, at that time, with our political setting here in the U.S., I would not have been surprised if there would have been uh, police waiting for me with handcuffs at the rate our, our political system's going here nowadays. But see, you never know how the Holy Spirit wants to use you. He wants to do some exciting things in your life and in my life through the four keys. Turn very quickly to 1 John 1, at the back of your Bible, before Revelation. 1 John 1, 4, 1 through 4. We have something important to read here on what we must always do when we're doing the four keys. 
Remember, I started this simple message out with this thought. We always start with the Bible. You have to know the Bible. It's the heart of God to us. We're learning how to decipher it and read it. We always conclude by then analyzing what we've journaled. So the four keys, very simply, are quieting ourselves down before the Lord, focusing our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. We follow the Holy Spirit through the eyes, ears, mind, will, and emotions of our heart, and then we write it down. When you are receiving from the Lord, do not stop to analyze it. What did I just say? Don't stop. The reason why you don't want to stop is you're going to kill it with your rationality. You're going to kill faith with your rationality. Let the vision flow. And then you want to go ahead and evaluate it. And this is why we come back now to 1 John 4, 1 through 4. John writes here, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everything you're receiving. It's from God, it's from Satan, or it's from you. Or it's from the world. We've got to test it. We've got to know. My friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Jeff, do you have my last thing? I I like the way I worded this here. This is simple. Can you put that last one up for me, that last text, Jeff? Perfect. Always test the spirit of the revelation you receive with scriptures to see if it relates properly to Jesus Christ. So was the tone of what you're receiving the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Or was it something vicious or dark? Did it deal with love? Did it deal with a theme of redemption? Or was it condemnation? God does not condemn you. God will discipline me and you, but he doesn't condemn us. You see how we're weighing the spirit of the thing? And you're going to get good at it. One last thought. Sometimes when you have demonic dreams, they are good. I'll explain this. I once had this dream. I'm on Pella's brand new high school turf football field, and dreams are weird. I'm on the one-yard line. Somehow a ball's going to get snapped to me, but i got to go through this monster demon. This thing is vicious looking. It's mean. And in my dream, I'm feeling like when you go through a door and you hit the door jam, you missed the clearance of the door, and oh, jarring, that jarring. I'm thinking this is what's going to happen. So lo and behold, the ball gets snapped to me, and I go through that demon, and I roll in the end zone, and I'm in bed, it's 2 in the morning, and I jump out of bed, and my wife says, what the heck's going on, Keith? I said, well, I just had a dream, and I went through a demon like a hot knife through butter. I'll tell you in the morning. The Lord was teaching me something. You've got to understand this. You can go through the demonic like a, like a hot knife through butter because you have authority over them. The Lord was teaching me, do you know your authority? Read John's, uh, Mark 16, last four or five verses sometime, not now. You have authority. All right, let's wrap it up. <clears throat> can I have slides 11 and 12, Jeff? And they are resources for you, for us. Mark and Patty Verkler, I've met them, are incredible human beings. They have a DVD series that rolls along with this. And if you want to get into this and really learn how to hear the Spirit, voice of the Spirit for you as you move forward, I recommend that book. Mark is a left-brainer. He's very technical. The other option you have is by a pastor named Brad Jerzak, and it's Can You Hear Me? This is a brand-new book that came out last year. It's more pastoral in nature. So depending on how your brain is wired, these guys are saying the same thing. Can I have the next slide as well? Perfect. There's a brand new book out by Pete Gregg, which is phenomenal as well. Uh, How to Hear God, a simple guide for normal people, and that's what I recommend, that we just be normal. 
as we learn how to move in the Spirit, because nobody likes weirdos, right? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the way you show us in Scripture how we can hear your voice and how we can confirm through Scripture that the various messages that we receive, whether by your word or through dream or through vision, whatever it is, that uh, we can know it is you speaking to us as we confirm it with your word. We thank you for the promise that we have in John 10, 4, that your sheep do hear your voice. We are your sheep, the sheep of your pasture. You bring us to quiet places, Lord, so that we can hear you, Psalm 23. And you nurture us, you grow us in our most holy faith there. And then we live out of that into the mission field, which is our lives. And so we honor and praise you and thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Now, Lord God, at this time, as we prepare to move forward into Holy Communion, we ask that by your Spirit, your Holy Spirit would communicate your love to each person here who partakes of the bread and the juice as we know that you are present with us by your Spirit through visible signs and seals that are called the Lord's table. So we love you, Lord. We praise you and we honor you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.